if I speak up, am I just being a pig-headed bigot or am I defending something valuable? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are Karen. Hello. And Tracy. Good morning. And no Eric, because he is still sequestered to the beach. Vanished to the horrible land of Hawaii. Oh, poor Eric. I feel so bad for him sitting on beaches and looking at pretty scenery. Mm hmm. Gotta be awful. Got to be awful. I don't know how. You beat me to it. I don't know how he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> he's a strong man. We all admire him for it. <laughs> well, it certainly can't compare to the fun that I had this week of sitting in classes for two days, learning more electric. Well, I say learning. I had information shot at me like a cannon for two days. <laughs> and I think some of it, it's like, it might, might have uh, hit me in the forehead and sunk in a little bit. I was just going to say, how absorbent were you feeling? Um, I'm fairly certain I was awake most of the time. <laughs> I have a hard time sitting still. Are you guys still. doing that stuff online, or are you back in person? Oh, no, we were in person. No, I went okay. down to, had to go to Denver for it. It was a two-day. Yeah. yeah, two-day class way down in the southern part of, uh, actually, Aurora, and, uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't in Colorado, we everything around Denver is Denver. There's I don't know how many cities there are there actually, but but uh, we we just call it at least I've always called it all Denver because it's yeah. so so compact and so many so many you know cities all surrounding Denver, but it's just kind of the Denver area, so it's Denver. But um, yeah, so I you know I stayed down there at the hotel for a night and and uh, yep, two days, eight hours of of uh having code book experts explaining the code to us and uh, i can look around and i know some of the guys are getting it and then there's a lot of us who are sitting there with these open mouth stares glazed overlook <laughs> glazed overlook and every once in a while they talk about something that's like oh yeah okay i've done that because that's the thing with the code book is that there's there's it's so broad and it covers you know all of the electrical trade and, you know, a lot of us just kind of specialize in one or two areas, but they, you know, the, the code has to be about everything and we're supposed to kind of know a little bit about all of it. So, ah. so yeah, great times there. I'm sure you guys <laughs> probably have your, I'm sure you probably have to have some continuing education, I would imagine in your, uh, all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, but he's fascinated <laughs> by every bit of his. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's sometimes uh, there's a, quite a bit of times I have that glazed over look. It's like, huh? <laughs> Gonna do what? Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's just hard. It's like if it's not something you deal with on a regular basis, trying to stay interested and engaged in it, it, it can be can be rough because some of those things they get really far out from where you specialize, and and you're like, I'm never. Even if I get the opportunity. <laughs> I don't want to do that, you know, so, um, but anyway, so that, that's the fun of my week. So, all right, well, let's get into our discussion. We are 
continuing in Second Kings chapter 1 this week. Now, we at the very end of last week's reading, we got introduced to two kings of Israel and Judah. In Judah, we had just been introduced to King Jehoram. And in Israel, we had just been introduced to King Ahaziah. And Second uh, Kings picks up right where First Kings left off. Now, I think maybe I've mentioned this once before, but that idea of First and Second Kings, um, that that book got split in a more modern time. In fact, at one time it was um, there were we have it split into four books now, and I, I'm trying to remember what the other one uh, the, the other one was but at any rate first and second kings they're all part of the same book so so when we get into chapter one of second kings it's really just a continuation of the book of kings and second kings picks up with that ahaziah dude and we're told it starts out with the moabites rebelling against israel and uh, if we go way back to second samuel chapter eight uh, we might remember that david had actually subdued the moabites and they were supposed to be uh, kind of working for Israel at this point. Well, the Moabites have decided now they don't like that, and they've, re- re- um, they've decided to rebel. Now, Ahaziah uh, has a little accident in his room. It says he falls through some lattice, and he gets injured. Now, I, don't know, I don't know what kind of injury we're talking about here, um, but it's apparently pretty bad. And so he sends some messengers to ask the god Baalzebub if he will recover. Now, this was an interesting to me. You know, we tend to and we tend to use the word Baalzebub today, and it's sort of synonymous with Satan. And wow, back then, they were thinking of him as like a completely different god. See, that's so, the first thing I think of when I see Baalzebub. I think of the devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was wondering, too, if... You know, if that had something to do with, like, maybe Baal and that kind of thing and their worship of that, mm-hmm. you know, and it got that negative connotation there. But I have no idea. But that's what came to mind when I when I read it. Well, it said specifically the god of Ekron. Mm-hmm. So it was like there was a region that called this, this, this was their god's name. Right. Yeah. I, it's... it's... It's interesting to me that this name has become synonymous with us with with Satan or Lucifer. Right. And and it leads me to to wonder even more now and I think I might have mentioned this before where I wondered what kind of a physical presence was was Satan and his uh his angels uh what what was he presenting to the people at the time to get them to believe so uh, so much in these other gods in a region where the God of Israel was so prominent. I mean, you know, when we, we have seen, we have read through, and of course we're talking, you know, how many, how many years have passed, but we're talking about in a region where people are well aware of the parting of the Red Sea and, um, you know, all those different stories with huge miracles. Well aware of it, but that was what, how many hundreds of years before? Right, right, yeah, it's been hundreds of years, and so we're talking generations have passed, but but it's still, it's it's so prominent, it's got to be prominent in people's, uh, in just the folklore and, and whatnot, but yet there's these surrounding 
communities, cultures with completely different gods still. It's just interesting to me that that uh, that these other areas would be so adamant in their worship of these other gods. And it just makes me wonder if how, you know, just how Satan was working then to get them to believe in these things. Well, I would go out on a very short limb and suggest that if hu- today's human nature is any indication, we get pretty, um, well, at my job, they call it working in silos. Where okay. you forget you forget that you have this stuff in common with others. You forget that there's areas where you overlap and you just sort of like focus on you and yours. And that's really all you think about. So, I mean, these societies didn't even speak the same languages. There wasn't mm-hmm. internet. There wasn't cross lines, newspapers. You know, they just kind of lived in their own little bubble. So I think it would take something big like the parting of the Red Sea, which was hundreds of years before. I think it would take huge things like that to cross cultural lines in anything more than a local gossip or interest way. That's mm-hmm. my guess. Well, I think it's it's too, you know, when we had read it back then is that, you know, people were watching. It was on a world stage. You know, they people had mentioned, oh, yeah, we know that you're out there wandering around in the desert doing circles. So people were people knew what was was going on. So it was one of those was one of those things that after doing it for 40 years, people had started to take notice to it. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think, too, just like, you know, we were talking about Satan works in these small just cultures, you know, just that kind of are off off in the wings that people don't really know that are there, but are just kind of waiting in the wings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, that he, they continue to do this or practice this, you know, these things. And, you know, I think one day they just kind of come out. Yeah. Subversive well, cultures. That's the word I was looking for. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Ahaziah has sent these messengers to go ask Baal-zebub if he will recover. Now, while these messengers are traveling, I don't know how far they had to go, but um, the angel of the Lord, it says, is sent to meet them. And he asks them if they're going to Beelzebub because there's no God in Israel. That's, you know, kind of an interesting little (laughs) reminder. Here this angel shows up and goes, "Um, hey, you know what? There really is. It's, it's sort of a, a, a backwards way of, not backwards, but a backhanded way of, of saying it. But like, what, don't, don't you have a real God that you can talk to? But um, the message eventually gets delivered that Ahaziah will not recover from his injury. So it really well, makes you wonder. Wait a second, there was, there was an important fashion detail in here. Oh, yes. what's the, what's the, we'll leave, we'll leave. Right? So the messengers go to the king and he says, well, why are you back already? And they said, well, we ran into this guy, and he says, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending messengers to consult Baals above the God of Ekron? Blah, blah, blah. Then you will not leave the bedroom line, and you will certainly die. And the king says, what kind of man who was it who came to meet you and told you this? And here's the identification. They replied, he had a garment of hair which my Bible articulates may simply mean that he was so hairy that he was covered with his own hair, or it could have actually been a garment of hair. Like my Bible specifically has a note that it could be either. 
and a leather belt around his waist. And the king says, oh, that was Elijah the Tishbite. See, that is recognition. And I just, I had to laugh. I had to laugh. That was so funny to me. Like whether it means he was wearing an actual garment of hair or whether it means he was just a hairy dude with a leather belt. <laughs> that's all it took to stand out. <laughs> Captain Caveman. <laughs> now that's old school. Oh, right. A leather belt. Yeah, everybody else uses nylon. I know who that is. Seriously. Do, do you even remember Captain Caveman, Karen? Of course, you didn't really grow up with TV. So I didn't grow up with TV. I don't even know what that is. Eric, uh, Tracy, do you remember Captain Caveman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Captain Caveman. Oh, dear. Well, did he wear a leather belt? Uh, no, he had a club. He had a club. Oh, the guy with the club. He did right. have a Captain garment of hair. <laughs> but he was, yeah. So Something's <laughs> hair. It was a Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the either 70s or early 80s. I don't remember. He was sort of a, a superhero sort of thing. I, I don't know. It was goofy. But, I mean, he was just basically a big thing of hair with eyes and a nose. And he carried a club. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was silly. But, um, I mean, think Cousin cousin It in cartoon form. Now, do you even know who Cousin It is? I don't know. I do. Hey, okay, we hit some culture that Karen knows. We're finally getting her cultured, Tracy. Is there that really culture? That's what we're considering culture? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it must have been something that stood out because yeah. they that's the only way they could describe him. So it was he was definitely bucking the norm, but a lot of the prophets did. It yeah. was like they did not seem to to really fit in. So yeah. Yeah, that's what well, made him distinguished, right? And Ahaz, Ahaziah clearly knew that this was Elijah who had delivered the message, and he was told that he was—he's not going to recover, he, and he's going to die. Well, he he sends three consecutive captains, each with fifty men, to go retrieve Elijah. Oh, this is so bad. And the first captain gets there, and he's oh. like, "Elijah, come with me!" And fire comes down from heaven. And consumes the captain and his 50 men. And so a second captain comes. Well, Elijah, Elijah summons it. If I am a man of God, may fire yeah. come down from heaven and consume yeah. you and your 50 men. What do those 50 dudes ever do? They try to get Elijah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that happens once and then it happens again. A second, a second captain comes with his 50 men. And Elijah gets the fire. What I mean, I say it's Elijah, but, you know, he calls the fire down from heaven and it consumes 50 men. Well, the third captain shows up. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I mean, who in the world? I mean, why in the world would Ahaziah send more men? Oh, those guys didn't work and they, they got burned up with fire from heaven. Oh, let's send another 50. Let's see how that goes. You know, I think it's I think it's you get so wrapped up in self. Yeah. And your power and your might. And you think of, you know, what 50 didn't do it. I'll send another 50. And then, you know, you're just not working with common sense at that point. I think it's you're just too consumed with the power that you wheel and forget that there's a, a, a bigger and larger power. That can send fire down from heaven, for example. Exactly. Because yes. that's what happened. Right. Yeah. Right. Two times. Two times. I would not want to. I would not have wanted to be that third captain. I can just imagine how sick to his stomach he was, like walking out there, like, "Oh crap!" 
<laughs> well, the third captain didn't want to be the third one either because he gets there. He's like, okay, Elijah, look, fires come down twice. He's like, please don't make that happen to me. Can we work something out? <laughs> <laughs> this third captain, it has a little more wisdom. It sounds like maybe the first two came at him a little hard. Um, kind of like me screaming at, at the car dealership when when uh, when my car didn't work right. But um <laughs> I <laughs> you know, but the, the the third one um the third one came back came at him a little more humbled, knowing full well, okay, I am dealing with something I do not want to deal with here. And so I am going to come in as politely and calmly as I can and uh and ask for mercy and and with this guy then god says okay elijah you can go with this guy you know all three of the captains started off with man of god yeah but the first two were like who knows what tone they said it in but it was man of god the king says come with us mm-hmm. yeah and the, third, and the third one seems to actually understand that that has some <laughs> Wait behind it. Some clout. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bracelet that's rose gold. And on the inside of it is engraved um, something about when everything seems to be going wrong, remember whose daughter you are and straighten your crown. Mm. Mm. And, you know, we're, su- we're supposed to be like our bodies are temples of God. And we are his chosen people we're supposed to be priests and right a, what is it a royal priesthood mm-hmm. how, what, how does peter say that you're a chosen people a royal priesthood mm-hmm. and i don't know i just i kind of think we don't own that very much well we don't well, run Elijah around and, did. <laughs> yeah well, you know yeah I don't, I don't know any of us running around in in uh clothing made out of hair so or <laughs> hair super long and belted around us so that we cover the important parts well that's not what i was getting at good oh. heavens where did you go where how did you get to a garment of hair from that that's like the fashion statement well okay <laughs> well so god tells elijah go ahead and go with this captain um I, i'm guessing at this point it's kind of understood now that elijah is going to be safe with this guy and he wasn't with the first two, it sounds, maybe. Uh, but he goes with them, and then Elijah delivers the message personally. And Ahaziah dies. And that's really it. That's what we get about Ahaziah. He, he, I think he reigned, I think we read in last week's reading, he only made it for two years. Because he just was not, a, he wasn't a good dude. You know, and uh, ended up dying from falling in his own house. I've fallen and I can't get up kind of thing. I don't know. But uh, he dies, and then, see, this This is where things get a little convoluted and, and weird, because now a guy named Jehoram becomes king of Israel. Jehoram is a son of Ahab. This gets convoluted right here, because now, when we go to Second Chronicles 21, to kind of stay in our chronology, in our chronology, we are dealing with a Jehoram in Judah. So now we've got a Jehoram in Israel, and we have a Jehoram in Judah. 
Now, Jehoram was the firstborn of Jehoshaphat, who we've talked about in the past. This was not a good dude either. He starts out, as soon as he's established, he goes and kills all of his own brothers. Nice guy. Why? I don't know. Insecurity? Uh, feeling challenged? I don't know. But uh, he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigns for eight years. Now, the daughter of Ahab of Israel was his wife. Man, this is a friends, brothers, and in-laws sort of deal going on between the two kingdoms now. Um, and we were talking about some alliances between the kingdoms last week, and I'm wondering if maybe this is where that alliance came uh, that we were talking about last week. That you know, I think that's it. I think it's just, a, you know, the power grab. you got to keep the power within the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So while while he is... While he's in control, Edom and Libna decide that they're going to revolt against Judah. So we had revolting going on down in Moab, in from Moab in up in uh, Israel, and now down in Judah, we've got Edom and Libna revolting against Judah. And um, so it's just like the kings. It seems to me they're just sort of starting to lose control of what's going on. Yeah, but I think we've mentioned that too in the past that. You know, as soon as we kind of step away from from David, and well, and Solomon, because he had a long reign, is that you don't see those type of reigns very much anymore. I think we had one before, before that that got into maybe 20 years, but then you have some that just, what was the shortest one, five days, seven days mm-hmm. that we had read about? It, it They were just going through a rapid succession of kings and leaders. Right. They just couldn't get it together because once again, they weren't following God. It was one of those. Um, I'll bring up Eric's phrase: "If and when." That if mm-hmm. you do this, when you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen, and that's what they just—they continuously did that, and they went through kings like socks. Yeah, I guess I can imagine with that constant change of power you never really end up with anybody in charge of anything not really you maybe get somebody who comes in and tries to throw his weight around but who's really listening i mean you know in that kind of a situation you just it's like okay you're the next you're the next one what you know what are you going to do and some of them started off good some have had good intentions um tearing down idols tearing down the high places you know killing Baal's um priest but then for some reason, they just could not complete the task 100% and kind of left those small subversive cultures out there. And then before you know it, they fall victim to them, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about some of them tearing down the high places. Well, Jehoram, he's building them right back up. So we're told that he starts building the high places in the mountains around Judah. And he ends up getting a letter from Elijah. I can, <laughs> it's kind of... I don't know. I guess it kind of strikes me funny that here Elijah writes a letter instead of um, showing up personally. That uh, I mean, that's that's the way that's the way a lot of things get handled these days. We send somebody a letter, or we you know anonymously. Of course, I don't think this is anonymous, but um, it's just interesting that he gets a letter from Elijah instead of a personal visit. But in the letter, he's told that because he hasn't done what Jehoshaphat and Asa did. 
But instead, he's made Judah and Jerusalem, as it says, play the harlot. It says, your family and possessions will be afflicted, and you will contract a disease that will make your intestines come out. Okay, Tracy, what is that? <laughs> Tracy is our medical expert. <laughs> I am just going to go with the firm, I don't know. Yeah, that's I'm, just... That, yeah, yuck. no, make your intestines come out. Yeah, no. Ooh. I mean, man, oh, man. I mean, that sounds absolutely not just disgusting. It sounds horrible. I mean, that has just got to be, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I was hoping you'd have some insight that to know what that was, but mm, I mean, it's just terrible. No, n- nothing that I've seen just makes them come out. Yeah. Weird. And where would they come out? Uh, I can only think of one place. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, not yeah. very. Yeah. Not a pleasant thought. Mm-mm. No, no. So weird. Very weird. Well, Syrians and Arabians invade Judah. They carry away possessions from the king's house, as well as sons and wives. And they leave only his youngest son, Jehoahaz, uh, alternately known as Ahaziah in, when we get into Second Chronicles 22, uh, he's known as Ahaziah. I'm not sure how this got known in the, by our Bible scholars, but that's the way the notes in my Bible were, my Bible were reading. So he gets known as Jehoahaz, gets known alternatively as Ahaziah or Azariah. Lots of nicknames for him. Well, Jehoram does contract this disease and it kills him. And it says he's in great pain for two years. It takes two years to kill him, uh, whatever this disease was he had. And when he dies, it says the papal made no burning for him, meaning that he got no honors on his death. Uh, basically, nobody cared. It's a, he, his, in fact, I th- uh, verse 20 says that his death gave sorrow to, that, uh, to no one. Nobody cared when he died. In fact, it sounds like maybe they were happy. And uh, they buried him in Jerusalem, but they didn't bury him with the rest of the kings. So no honors at all for Jehoram. So we move into Second Chronicles chapter 22, and Ahaziah, or as we were told before, Jehoahaz, but we'll call him Ahaziah here, he, he takes over for Judah. And he's the youngest son of Jehoram, as we said, because um, his older brothers have been killed by Arabian raiders. He's 42 years old. And he reigns for one whole year. His mother is Adaliah, granddaughter of Omri. I'm not sure that we've talked about Omri. I don't think we've really had any information about him. So this is one of those situations I think we've mentioned maybe mothers get mentioned so that everybody can keep track of who is who because all these kings had so many wives and kids and and this is maybe the way that they were able to keep track of of uh, who they were married to and who was their kid. But he gets bad advice from his mom and he ends up being wicked like Ahab because the house of Ahab were his counselors, and it says it was to his destruction. And at their advice, he fought with Jehoram of Israel against the Syrians. And in that fighting, Jehoram got wounded. So Jehoram, he goes back to Israel to recover, and Azariah goes to visit him. And it says that this visit was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall, because when he was out, uh, Jehoram went to war against somebody else, Jehu. 
And Jehu killed Azariah's brothers, found Azariah hiding in Samaria, killed Ahaziah, buried him out of respect for Jehoshaphat, but that leaves no one from the house of Ahaziah to assume power, which means then that his mom steps in, Adaliah. She decides that she's just going to take charge in Judah, and she kills all of the heirs of the house of Judah. I think that's pretty typical, right? The incoming usually kills the competition. That's fairly typical as far as I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did either one of you guys notice that Jehu had been specifically anointed by God mm. to kill? What, how did that go? To kill, to destroy the house of Ahab. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This was uh, There was so much going on in that chapter. No, no I, um, I don't think in that moment. I think over time. Mm-hmm. Like that was his job. That's how bad Ahab was. Yeah. Well, through all of this, Jehoshabeth, the daughter of Jehoram, of which Jehoram are we talking about now? Judah, I think. She takes Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and hides him and a nurse in a bedroom. And they're hidden for six years while Adaliah rules. Man, it's Adaliah. She just does not sound... She doesn't sound good at all to me. She just assumes... She just assumes command of the country and starts killing everybody to kind of just keep hold of it. We've talked about that before, how other kings, like specifically like David, did not do that. Yeah. He didn't come in and just wipe out all of the heirs of Saul. He tried to take care of some of them. Yeah, he, he sought them out. But he also, you have to remember, he made that pact with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. That said, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Right. And, you right. know, and he, when we when we revisit that and we see him and he's sitting at his table and he goes, you know what? Is there anybody left from Saul's house? Because I did make that make that pact between Jonathan and myself that said that I would I would help and they had to go and hunt down Mashibatheth. But no, in everywhere else it's just like Karen is saying, that was pretty standard that you took care of the competition so you didn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But but you're right, David was a total exception. Remember, um there was some kind of thing later where there was tension within the country. And so the the king, so David goes and says, like, you know, what can we do to resolve this? And they say, give us, give us Saul's descendants. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. And, and there were any hands over seven of them. Right. And, and that, and I assume that doesn't include Mephibosheth, who ate at his table the rest of his days, ate at the king's table. Right. Anyway, yeah, I, I think it was fairly, I think what this, what this queen does here, Ath, is it Athaliah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think what she does is pretty normal by human standards. Yeah, pretty normal, but definitely she, she seems to be on a power hunger path here, where where when when you know her son doesn't reign, she just she steps in and and takes charge in like a really violent matter. But wasn't that one of the first demos of role models? Look at her role models. Well, yeah, because she is coming from. Uh, didn't she? Didn't we just say that she was 
descended from Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel, I think so. The son of Ahaziah, Joash, is now hidden by the daughter of Jehoram for six years and is eventually, in chapter 23 of Second Chronicles, crowned as king of Judah. Uh, now, this is interesting. This is where things get interesting. Because the priest Jehoiada, he starts to uh, strengthen himself through alliance with the captains in the army. And on his own, he went through Judah. He gathered Levites to be a protecting force over uh, Judah or uh, over Joash. And he gave the captains spears and shields from the temple. And Joash gets brought out. He's given the law and he gets crowned as king. So it's interesting that Jehoiada is sort of in the background while Athaliah is, is uh, you know, trying to throw her weight around. Um, that the priest decides, you know, we're going to take matters uh, in the way that they should should be going. Because she hasn't learned about any of this happening. They've crowned, they have crowned Joash sort of behind her back. And when she learns about it, she comes out screaming treason. And because they, because they're having this big celebration for Jonah or jo, Joash's coronation. You know, she really had usurped the throne unlawfully here. There was, there was, I, I don't see any precedence in what had been happening in Judah or Israel for the mother to just step in like that. But now the priests are, are taking charge, or at least this one priest, Jehoiada, has taken charge and has made Joash king. Well, she claims treason and she gets seized by the captains under orders from Jehoiada. And taken to the king's house, and to, uh, specifically, he's, she's not in the temple, and they they kill her. Oh. Take her to the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take her out. Get her out of here. Did Go you ahead. see that in 15? So they said they seized her, and she went by the way of the entrance of the horse's gate into the king's house. I saw that. I didn't guess I didn't. Um... You know, and I'm wondering, too, if it's that more like, you know, take her around back. Mm. You know what I mean? Because she's literally, you know, was in a high power of position and they're just kind of, you know, no respect in the, in what she had done, no respect in her um, position or status there. They're just getting rid of her. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that her death needed the imp the thing that I got out of that was exactly the same thing. They took her around back that there was nothing public that needed to happen. She was a non-entity. She just needed to be gone. She was nothing but trouble and they were busy uh crowning the the survivor <laughs> of mm -hmm. the king's line over here. Right. Even though he was 7 years old. Yep, let's move forward. Forget right. the past, let's move forward. Yeah, to me, that just was loud and clear how absolutely unimportant she was. She was nothing but in the way. Yeah, that, that horse gate. I guess I, I didn't really know the significance of that, but that does make sense. I mean, if that's kind of specifically what that gate was for, basically for transporting horses in and out, you know. Yeah, But yeah, take her out and, and, and get rid of her. Well, and and so it's it is interesting because I guess it seems like Joash is kind of more of a figurehead, and, but Jehoiada seems to be the one really uh, 
kind of in charge. He's the one kind of giving the orders, it seems. But he makes this covenant between himself and the people and the king that they're going to be the Lord's people. He's uh, he's very much trying to get this back into where it should be. They go and they te- their terror down the temple of Baal. They kill the priest of Baal. And then uh, Jehoiada appoints s- some priests to oversee the temple and its services. And to me, that kind of implies that none of this had been happening. The temp- I mean, what was the temple doing there this whole time if, if Jehoiada now had to appoint priests to uh, go and start doing the services? You know, I wonder if it's, you know, as we've seen in the past, though, that, you know, there was a small group, once again, that was still doing what God wanted to do, to do but it wasn't on the stage that it originally had set out to be mm-hmm. with David and Solomon, where it was a total nation, one nation under God. Yeah. It was now, you know, just small bands of people doing that. And it wasn't something that everybody was brought to do like in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe the the services were still taking place, but not very many people were paying attention to it. Right. It was just sort of happening. Really sad. I mean, after, you know, what we read about everything that went into the temple and to have this amazing building there kind of doing nothing. Just, uh, yeah, sort of sad. But he really brings brings that back. He he gets he gets gatekeepers set at the entrances to the temple to keep anybody unclean from coming in. And the captains, the nobles, the governors, and the people, they take Joash from the temple and they set him on the throne. So I just I just yeah, I thought this was very interesting how hands-on the priesthood became in this in this story with making sure that the country got back on track sort of the way it was supposed to go because really yeah they're just they're, we've just been reading so much for so long about just bad behavior people just not doing what they're supposed to do this constant succession of kings and, and what was supposed to be this beacon in I guess kind of the busiest part of the world at the time you know Israel was kind of just set on this crossroads if anybody wanted to go anywhere, they pretty much went through through Israel. Do you ever wonder what you would do if you were in a situation like that? Like your nation is supposed to be this, right? And then instead mm-hmm. it's over here being that. And there's layer upon layer upon layer of Satan. Satan it's just straight Satan's influence and like misguided and pulling people off track and everything else. Like... And you, like, let's say you're one of the priests, like, what would you do? Would you be like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to buck the system. Ooh, yeah. Or would you be one of the ones going, no, I got I got an idea. I got a room over here. We just all have to run the front until we can step forward and do this thing right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think about Bible texts that say, you know, be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. And for the most part, what those priests did with Joe Ash was sort of secreting away him away and holding him there for six years, like raising him in the priest quarters until they could bring him out. That all seems very wise and very peaceful until the queen pitches a fit when they're coronating the boy and she gets drug out the horse gate and killed. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I, I look at history and I look at and I and I look at how humanity has developed and how nations have developed. And I just wonder, like, how do you pick 
Like when you're face to face with that level of evil and you have a chance to intervene, how do you do it? And how do you know what God's will is? And where is the line of truth? And where is the line of I don't want to be involved versus God doesn't advocate violence versus we need to get this done? I don't know. Boy, I have trouble with that sometimes. But I read like I read this story and I see a lot of modern day shenanigans in it. Yeah. Like, you know, covert operations and we're doing this for the good of these people. Oh, yeah. Well, we're doing that for the good of those people. And ours is, you know, ours is the true cause. And it's like, really? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Thank goodness there's a God that can see all because. This it gets convoluted, and yet, when are we called to do something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder that all the time. You know, constantly wondering, am I going to be on the right side of history when this is all done? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. when do I stand up? When do I? When do I stay in the background? You know, how loud should I be speaking up against the things that I see happening? Yeah. Um, I mean, you talk about a nation under layers upon layers of evil from Satan. I mean, look around us now. Yep. You know, it's does it's it's not that hard to look out it from a Christian perspective and see a see a world, see a nation that is just getting itself buried in evils, just buried, mm-hmm. and evils that are being touted as uh, no as like noble. And if you speak out against them, you're the hater. You are the you're the awful person. And, you know, just looking at it from just trying to be like, well, no, I just I I think you're really hurting yourself uh, and I'd like to see you do better. But uh, people don't want to hear that these days. I know people people want to live their life the way they want to live their life. And there's nobody who's going to tell them differently. And um you know, we're, we're here's the thing. They, they want to live their life and they, and, and they don't want someone to tell them differently, but they also want to know that anybody disagrees with them. So it's like, no, you disagree with me. So you need to be silenced. Like yeah. you need to be quiet. You don't get to talk because you're disrupting what I want. Mm-hmm. And and I that's, that's, and, oh, no, go ahead, Karen. Finish. No, and, and I just, I just think that gets really complex and really weird. And and I don't, I don't know. I'm with you, Matt. Like, I don't know. Like, when do I speak up? When, mm-hmm. when do I sit back? Yeah. I don't know sometimes. Yeah. And if I do speak up, is it going to do any good? Or is it just going to be bouncing off of a brick wall? You know, you just don't know. What were you going to say, Tracy? You know, I think, I think that's totally the whole human dilemma almost of, you know, where do you fall? Because this has been going on throughout the ages we're reading that now in the bible that they have the same difficulties yep. with this kind of thing too and look at all the kings that succumbed to it they started off great and then they got wrapped up into something else where the world has that allure to to suck you in even if you're wrong sometimes you get attached to the wrong thing and it's like i think that's where we need to stay vigilant and prayerful and always kind of keeping our eyes fixed on God to say, you know what, what am I going to do? Because sometimes the the old cliche is, you know, you can't fix the world if you, you know, you need to clean your backyard first. 
you know, and I think sometimes you just have to, to start with the small things, start with that person in the mirror and then, you know, take a look at your family and your extended family and your, your church family and your neighborhood. And I think that's the small lights that'll make a change, you know, in the world. But mm -hmm. no, I think we totally get bogged down with, with what's going on. And I think we see that right now, you know, and it, it ties directly into this that, yeah, it's, we're living in the proverbial end times at this point, And we're seeing a lot of this stuff going on. And, it's, and, you know, pretty soon we're just going to have to make that choice. What are we going to do? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the main problem I have, so it's, it's easy to look back at these, at these old stories and say, well, they didn't struggle, right? Like my situation is more difficult because, right? Because the world is more complex and everyone's lives are intertwined and we live in a nation that's supposed to grant freedom to everyone. Like that is its premise. And so if I speak up, am I just being a pig-headed bigot or am I defending something valuable? Or is my right to speak up such that it trumps other people's right to not want to hear me, right? So th there's like that balance point. But then, like, if you look back at where there, where these people were at, was it really any different? They had different platforms. They had different, slightly different issues, but I don't think human nature's any different. No. I, I, I really don't. Like, you've got corruption this way versus corruption that way. Do you want a government who mandates you know, this, that, or the other thing? Well, no, you want a government that gives you as much freedom as humanly possible. Humanly possible being the difficult phrase there. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> humans can get pretty heavy-handed, and like Tracy said, then get distracted and taken in by the bad, the wrong things. Like, they start off with good intentions, and they end up way over here in left field instead. Oh, mm -hmm. man, there's just, there's so much room for error in humanity that that I have trouble knowing, first of all, when when do I have enough information to even know if I'm right versus when am I just having my opinion? Mm -hmm. Like there's so much information out there that is hidden. And how do we even know if we look at around at the modern issues of today, how do we even know if and when we have enough information to be like, okay, now I feel like I can take action because I feel like I have some version of the truth that's worth standing on. I don't know. Or do yeah. we just do we just throw it all up into the air and be like, well, that's all human problems. I'm going to focus on God. Okay, but human governments are set up. We're supposed to they're supposed to work. Yeah. So how much effort do you put into them when you know by reading the Bible that they're going to fail? It's like I've said about um, you know, uh, conservation of earth for years, if I didn't believe in God, if I didn't believe from the from reading the end of the book here, if I didn't believe that the world is going to end and that it is going to fail in its current form, if I didn't believe that and I believed that if I did, if I believed that this was evolutionary and that this this one lifetime was all we got and this world was the only world we were ever going to have, I would be out there chained to trees. You know, don't you cut these things down. We need, you know, like that would be me. Like I would be a rabid earth conservationist. Really, you want to destroy the planet we live on for your convenience of today? See, but my my spiritual, my theological perspective changes what I'm willing to fight for. 
and when mm -hmm. and how. Anyway, I didn't mean to get off on a huge side side trail there. I just, as I was reading this, I was like, well, that sounds a lot like everything that's going on in modern society. And I think that's the point of, of these stories, that nothing that we're dealing with hasn't already been dealt with on a different level. We like to think that we're we're alone in this struggle of, you know, do I make the right decision? But they were making the same things based on their time. And it was that time was moving on. And, you know, they have the same stressors we do. You know, I think it's just the context in which you live. And I think the most important part is that we just keep seeing here is God saying, if you follow me, then this will happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to, to, to put our faith in to say, you know what? Do I trust in the Lord? Yes. You know, and I think, too, with back to what almost originally what Karen was saying is that we just remember we need to give those people the same opportunity. When we shut down another person's opportunity to speak about something or to express their feelings, then we're trying to dictate what we want to happen. Where, you know what, we should just, you know, speak your piece. You know, let me process the information that you have that you're making this decision. You know, we, we and sometimes it's okay to agree to disagree. So when we're facing, like with them taking the taking the queen out back and killing her, like when I read that, I read she was so irretrievably corrupt that she just needed to be removed. And then there's a part of me that was like, mm, no, the average person should have known you were doing that. Why'd you do that out back? Is it any better than what she was doing if you take her out back? You see what I'm getting at? Like, Mm -hmm. where's the public information you know i don't know it just we know from reading the end of the book that at some point we all have to take a stand we're going to end up swimming against the current and how on earth do we make that choice like when what what is the hill that you're willing to die on somebody for example there are people out there who are willing to die on the hill of censorship and it's going on right now you know and 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 that gets uncomfortable for everybody. Like, is that really a life or death issue? No, but it's foundational to our country. Well, if it's not a life or death issue, then why would you? You see what I'm getting at? It's like, I just, I yeah. know from reading the Revelation that we are all going to have to do that at some point. And I look around and I've been watching, you know, through this whole COVID nonsense, I've been watching the world wind up and wind up and wind up and like hatred and division and judgmentalism. And I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm entitled to my point of view and you're entitled to my point of view, but I don't want to have to listen to yours. And science only says one thing and fear and just terrible terrible division mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i just don't i don't know my role in it and i wish that i did because i think some of this stuff is really important to the future of the world yeah and every time i see somebody step out bravely and say well what about this i think oh thank god somebody did it <laughs> <laughs> at some point that's going to be me Right. At some point, that's going to be you, Matt. At some point, that's yeah. going to be you, Tracy. And where is each of our moments in each of our lives going to be where it's our turn to step out and go, that's wrong. You're wrong. This is what it actually is. 
And where is when and where is that going to be our moment? And how terrifying is that going to be? Yeah, there was something you said there that that kind of got me just thinking. I think we will know somehow. We'll know when it's that time. I hope so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope so too. I hope so too. Uh, because you know, I see a lot of people, like you said, through this COVID stuff on both sides of the fence. Yeah, yeah, I'm not pointing at one side. I'm just saying human nature is not great in an emergency oftentimes. Right, but oftentimes people start spouting off and you can tell if you have any kind of discernment at all. You just listen to what they're saying. You're like, you haven't thought about the other side of this at all. Mm -hmm. You know, you you haven't slowed down to process what's happening before you spoke. And you're really showing ignorance now, you know, and that's where I fall into this thing is like, I don't want to ever come across as just being ignorant. And so I tend to stay quiet usually and just listen and process. Uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said it's better to, how do you put it? It's better to have, (laughs) let's see, how do you put it? Hmm. It's better to stay silent and have people think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Remove all doubt, yep. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's probably not a direct quote. But, um, you know, every once in a while, it's just like, you know what? Just shut up and listen for a while. And, and stop stop saying, you know, if you would stop and listen to yourself, yeah, okay, yeah, you you you're obviously have a very strong opinion about the situation. Uh, but y- you're, you're not thinking it through. You're not thinking that you're about what's really going on and you're not looking at the entire picture you're only looking at your own perspective your own uh uh uh, opinion on it yeah and and you're trying to throw your opinion out as if it's fact and so often and you know you hear people like well educate yourself read this one article that i read and you'll see you know and and "Mm, no like like with joe ash's story this was treason Mm-hmm. Like what these priests did was treason or was what she did treason proved retroact- retrospectively, you yeah, know, I, by I, herself in and killing all of the competition. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what they did in the moment they did it was treason. Right. And in order to in order to see a, a different picture than that, you have to back way up. And you have to look at the big picture and you have to have a lot of information about her history and what she did to get there. And you know what I mean? It just, oh, it's so convoluted. Like there was so much association going on with modern day stuff around the world. I mean, if anybody's been read, I don't know if you, what you guys do, but like I always read headlines from other countries as well. Like, like nearly every head of state in Europe has stepped down over the last year, year and a half crazy amounts of people have been resigning like at the highest echelons of power like there's big shifts going on in the world and it's fascinating and it's a little scary like what's going on mm-hmm. you know this was this is what this was this was an entire shift of power by taking the queen out the back and killing her and taking the hidden prince and putting him on the throne like that's a big story it is anyway that was a huge rabbit trail i'm sorry about that i just I just I was just taken aback at the similarities, the high drama, the like shifting of power, the who's doing right in the name of what, what is justified in the in the 
to get there kind of situation. I was just like, oh, I don't know how I would have. I mean, saving the kid when he's a baby, that's an easy choice. You know, saving mm-hmm. saving that baby, you know, and being like, no, 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 put him over here. Like, that's easy. What happens when it's time to overthrow the government? That's not so easy. That's where I get heart failure. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's all. It's all good stuff. It's relevant. Okay, well, our reading this week sort of shifts now, and I'm going to be honest, as I was reading it, I was trying to understand why the reading plan that I have put this here. Um, me, me too. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're, it's supposed to be chronological. We get into the book of Obadiah. Now, this is, uh, this is this, like I said, this, this was a, a reading plan that I have been following since we started. Uh, it's called the Blue Letter Bible Reading Plan that I looked up online. And they drop Obadiah in here. And I had to, I was actually even looking in my chronological study Bible, trying to, I couldn't even find the book of Obadiah in there because of the way it's laid out. But they didn't lay it out in this, in this spot. But nevertheless, since we're following this plan, we're looking at Obadiah. Now, the, the uh, notes, the beginning notes for the book of Obadiah in mine um, relay that this is, Basically, it's talking about sort of the continuation of the struggle between Jacob and Esau that has gone down through the ages now and is uh, still a problem in the time of Israel, of the time we're talking about here, generally speaking. Now, in my other, my chronological study Bible, I did find notes that said essentially Edom and Syria are basically synonymous. They were so close together that a lot of times Edom would get referred to as Syria. So as we've been taught reading about all of this fighting with Syria that Israel has been having, Israel more than Judah, I think, but nevertheless, Edom has been kind of throwing their weight around. And we saw just here, uh, we've just we kind of glossed over it there, but that Edom was revolting against uh, Judah. Was it against Judah? Anyway. They're kind of trying to rear their heads here. And uh, we're reminded that the Edomites wouldn't help Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness or during some later invasions. So this is uh, that's what this is kind of all about. Again, I don't understand exactly how it fits into the chronology, but we'll talk about it here because it is in kind of an interesting book. Teeny tiny little book. Last week we talked about it. it just sits there right between, what is it, Amos and Jonah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the whole book in here takes about a page and a half in my Bible. And that's including a couple of a good paragraph or two of notes at the beginning of it. So it's a really tiny book. You'll flip right by it five or six times before you finally find it. But God sends a message to, I guess, to Israel. It says, Verse 1, it says, um, Lord God, to Edom, arise and let us rise up against her in battle. So there's this call to go up against Edom from God. And it says it's because of their pride and their overconfidence, uh, Edom is going to get brought down. And all of their treasures, as well as their mighty men, were all going to be destroyed by Edom's allies. So Edom Edom is kind of getting called out here for just this constant, I'm going to call it a grudge against Israel, because that's really what, as I was reading through this, it seemed like the Edomites had been holding a grudge over the years 
for the conflict that uh, Esau and Jacob had had way back when. It's sort of a Hatfields and McCoys sorts kind of thing, you know, where where um, there was this rivalry now between the Israelites or the Judah and Judah again and um, and the Edomites, and it just stemmed back from way back. Some of those stories from 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 Jacob and Esau, where Jacob got the uh, got the blessing, and that was supposed to be on Esau, and uh, got the inheritance that Esau was supposed to get, and those sort of things. But they are going to be cut off because they wouldn't stand up to help Israel when they were being invaded and taken captive. So you see, this is the part that makes me think that that maybe this story got put in a little early, or maybe this is kind of also foreshadowing for us, because nobody's getting taken captive from from uh, Israel yet, but it's coming, and it sounds like. Edom either just kind of stood by or in some cases even actually actively helped the captors. And God is basically saying, you shouldn't have just stood by and watched as Judah was being taken captive and just and destroyed. So it's that speaks to I think that speak to us. What do you guys think when we consider we might end up with rivalries but we have an opportunity where we could maybe help somebody and instead we stand back and just watch as misfortune falls on them. What do you think about that? I think it's it speaks volumes to what we're doing right now because we thought we went down a rabbit hole and we were just talking about, you know, things that are happening to us right now, but that's where that's where all of our reading are leading us to make these kind of things and it that's exactly what they're talking about here is Okay, so why didn't you stand up and do something when you saw what was going on? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you stand up? When you see wrong, is it your responsibility to call it out? Is it to defend the weak? Is it, you know, and I think that's the very question that we were just talking about right now being put into their context. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because several verses there. It's just talking about how st- they stood back while they watched misfortune happening to Judah. They, in some cases, even actively helped out uh, for the uh, the misfortune against Judah. Um, you know, when we, like you said, Tracy, when we see something happening, when we see an evil happening to somebody, and maybe we don't like that person, but we know that's what's happening to them is is going to be bad for them it's going to lead to their downfall it is certainly not uh lifting them up or lifting them towards any kind of uh, of uh i don't know i'll say a fortune but uh we stand back and we maybe even gloat when when bad things are happening to people and maybe we don't like them or 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 let's be a little more altruistic than that maybe it's because we called it out Right. Like we called it out like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. That's bad. And then they keep doing it. Right. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. But in this case, it sounds like they weren't even standing up to say, hey, that's bad. Right. They're they're We're just seeing that, you know, I don't like those guys and I want to see bad things happen to them. So when they happen, I just stand back and gloat and watch and <laughs> look at what's happening to them now. You know, uh, I, I think we have a certain responsibility that 
even if we maybe don't have the greatest of relationship with somebody, um, gloating over their misfortune, that is not a healthy, that's not a healthy attitude to have. We'd be so much better off if we would try to step in and help. And maybe we'd end up being friends in the end. And they'll I, know, they'll know you are Christians by the love that you have for one another. Right. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, I don't think that people always agree on what love means or what love looks like. So that gets a little tricky because for some people, love means peace and safety and accommodation. And to other people, love means, um, no, you're wrong. And I need you need to know that you're wrong. And there's a yeah. time and a place for both. So even that gets tricky. It's like, well, you weren't showing me love. No, I was trying to. It just isn't your perception of love. Like even that gets hard. Yeah. And it's going to get harder as the world separates more cleanly into black and white, which is, I think, what we're seeing happen. Yeah, it all creates sort of a a tricky situation. And um, Edom was just helping. They were helping to try to see the downfall of Israel or Judah in this case. Yeah. And where they had opportunities that could have helped out. They could have been allies because I don't think the Edomites now correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the Edomites were necessarily some of those that were supposed to be pushed out. I could be wrong, but it sounds I'm, I'm getting the impression from what I'm reading here that, I mean, this is family essentially. Yeah. Yeah. This is family. So these are people who should, they should have still been under some of that influence from, from way back, uh, oh gosh, who was Jacob's dad? Jacob and Esau's dad. <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> Isaac. That's my kid's name. You think I'd remember that? I just, I just, I had, I got a lot of things going in my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, that you know, of course, I don't know. We're talking, we're talking hundreds of years down the road, and of course, people change. But nevertheless, this is they're they're still so you would think they would be culturally related enough that they would still be able to relate well to each other. But instead, Edom has been choosing to act towards the downfall of Israel and Judah. And that's why they're being called out for instead of it for instead of stepping up, being the the bigger person, if you will, being the better country, if you will. And okay, we have a rivalry, but we could be friends. We could be allies. We could, uh, we could have a positive outcome, but instead we're going the opposite direction. I'm remembering one of my favorite sections in the Bible that we read last week in second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat's prayer. So in these times of chaos, when there are big decisions to make and, Nobody knows quite well. I I don't know quite what to do. Jehoshaphat's prayer, the beginning and the end of it, the middle is all full of Israel's examples, but the beginning and the end of it apply to just about anybody. And this is from Second Chronicles 20. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. And then now to the end, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, right? So 
there's a whole lot of chaos that has gone on over the years and is going on and escalating now. And that that is one of the prayers in the Bible that I continually use to reorient myself. If I don't know what to do, I just look at God and I'd be like, if you want me to take action here, you're going to have to tell me and just give it to him because he knows the big picture of what he's doing and the impact of anything that I might do in that moment. All right. So the other verse that um, I read this week is in Isaiah 45 and it's verses five and six. And it goes like this. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Okay, now check this part out. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Mm. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. What that tells me is that even people who do not currently acknowledge God in their life or God's actions in their life, he is still working with them for his long-term glory. And there will not be a situation on this earth that is not brought to light and resolved. And eventually all of this chaos and confusion will be made clear. And God will work through his own means to do that. And he will work through human means. And I think that there, and like I said earlier, I think that there is a time when each of us is going to be called to stand on the carpet and go, "Uh uh-uh, I draw my line here. I draw my line here and I will not budge. And this is the truth and you need to hear it. Which is why there will be people in heaven with the edge of their robe trimmed in red. <laughs> and there will be plenty of those from over history and there will be plenty of those from the end of the world. And it's not going to be pretty. But God is in control. And I like this part where he says, I will strengthen though you though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. In spite of all human efforts, we know that the plagues of Revelation, those final, final things, those final big movements in the world are from God. They are supernatural. Not even the devil can twist them to his own ends. And it will clarify that God is in control. And I think that our roles will become clear. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that, that you know what, we are going to have to choose. And and we've seen it throughout history that, you know, all these different stories and us just working through the Bible, that we see that that God uses his people and he also uses other people. People that we may think are evil, God is using them too. You know, foreshadowing a little bit, he'll, he'll use Nebuchadnezzar to um, bring, uh, I guess... I don't know if retribution or correction to his people. Um, He hardened Pharaoh's heart, you know, and all of this is for his glory. And I think that's the whole, the whole picture, you know, the big, big picture that we don't see is that this is all working out for, for, for the good. It's all God's plan. Yeah. Well, the book of Obadiah kind of ends telling Thus, that the Edomites are basically going to get theirs. The comeuppance is is coming their way, and the things they did will be done to them. I mean, it started out with even their allies are going to turn on them. And ultimately, Israel is going to see triumph and success, but Edom will end up utterly destroyed. Makes me wonder if there's any uh, descendants of, of Esau anymore. 
because yeah. it just kind of sound sounded like no, they're just going to kind of be wiped out because they they uh, they just behaved so badly and mistreated essentially mistreated their own family. Exactly. Granted, just, yeah. But don't you see? You know, if you look at it, isn't that where you see a lot of the strife is amongst family? You know, even like we were talking that, you know, you want to be right and you're looking at other people and you want to do the I told you so, you know, and that kind of you see that a lot in families. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's once again, if you start at the the foundational level, which is family, this is going to spill over. This kind of behavior is going to spill over into the world, into into politics, into government, into leadership. And I think that's what you see throughout the entire Bible. Yeah. Well, and it's a lot of times it's our family that it's easiest for us to mistreat because we don't think right. about it because they're family. We think, ah, they'll get over it. Right. You know, and I think that's where sometimes you even see just the most lack of respect amongst, um, you know, siblings or, you know, when you look back in the Bible and it says, honor your mother and father. If you do mm-hmm. this, your days will be long. Right. You know, I think that's the the hardest part, because I think you tend to see that that a a lot of people don't. You know, that's the biggest strife. That's the biggest division is within their family. And and I think, too, we've we've talked about this in the past is that, you know, as our parents age and we move into the children move into that point in life where they're they're the most productive and they're. They're up on all the changes, and I like to say, like, technology and stuff. You know, we tend to start to lose patience with our elderly parents where it's like, why aren't you getting that? Why can't you do that? You know, and I I think Mm -hmm. sometimes that causes a riff. Yeah. Yeah, our different different, um, perspectives and our different uh, experiences, and we forget that they have not had those same. Right. Those you know, I was reading this this article a couple of weeks ago that says if you're trying to raise your children the way you were raised, that world doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I saw that too. And that is, you know, that has been. <laughs> that made me sit back and really mm-hmm. think about it because a lot of times, and we have children that are about the same age, you know, and we like to say, well, when I was a kid, I did this. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And you're going to have a dog and you're going to take care of the dog because I had one. You know, sometimes that just doesn't, you know, when I read that, it kind of, it made me sit back and think, you know, that's absolutely right. Because when you were, you and I were growing up, it was nothing to say, okay, go ahead and pedal, you know, four or five blocks down the street, go play with your friends. We'll see when the, when the street lights come on. Right. Yeah. I don't think I do that anymore. Yeah, it's it's a different. Yeah, it is a different world. No, I, yeah, that has been starkly uh, shown to me over time. I mean, my kids and I, we enjoy some of the same things, and I'm able to get them to do a few of the same things that I enjoyed. But I remember even when my oldest was young, I thought, "Ooh, he's old enough. He he he's gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him some Star Wars toys, you know, yeah. and got him some action figures and a, and one of the ships and stuff. Gave him to him for Christmas." He never played with them even once. Yep. Not once. And, you know, when you and I were kids, I'm sure it was probably that the same three. You, that man, I mean, that was right there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you'd go and you would you'd play with action figures with your friends in the backyard or the basement or wherever for hours and just yes. get lost in that. 
And these days they look at that and go, yeah, that looks cool on my shelf. You know, in the in the you know, it's kind of corny, but then you think of the commercials provides hours of fun. Board <laughs> games did that for us. Our kids would not last a minute with that. If it's <laughs> not on the screen or it's not on the computer, man, they don't need it. It's yeah. like and it's and it's hard for us because it's like, don't you wanna be outside? No. Nope. It's like yeah. what? I was driving last night, uh, or a couple nights ago by the baseball fields and i just re- remembering as a kid you know the lights this you know the sights the sounds the smells of summer playing baseball you know and, and that that kind of attendance and signing up for summer baseball is is dwindling yeah yeah they're just not interested not not as, not as much some some are some, some are, are but yeah. it's uh it's definitely a different world we're living in now and well, yeah, that sort of seems to be what was kind of going on between the Edomites and the and the uh, the the Israelites is that they had just uh, separated enough that they were forgetting they were forgetting that they had a commonality, and if they would have sought out the commonality instead of looking at the con the the differences, they would have had an opportunity, I think, to to probably join together and make something amazing, but instead they were at each other all the time. And it sounds like the Israelites were the biggest instigators of it here, and they were going to pay the consequences for that. And that kind of wraps it up for us for this week. I think next week we're going to get into some interesting reading. We're going to go in Second uh, Kings chapter 2 through 6, and we are going to read a lot about um, Elisha. Elisha was sort of no. I'm sorry. Was it Elisha or see? I get mixed up. Yeah, Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. We 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 we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens to Elijah. But then we're going to talk a lot about Elisha, and uh, I think that's going to be some interesting reading. So that's going to be Second Kings chapters two through six. While you're reading that and waiting for us, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Make sure that you uh, share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. Look for us on Facebook. That's an easy way to share the podcast. Just look on there and click the share button when I when I share the link there. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you reach us, so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Yeah, subversive cultures. That's the word I was looking for. There you go. (laughs) I always remember the words I'm trying to say, Tracy, so I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Only bits and pieces will end up on the the cutting room floor from me and stammering around trying to find my words. So we'll be all right. We're going to leave that whole thing in. (laughs) Come on, Matt. Do your magic. Blend it all in like it was one continuous thought. (laughs) Yeah.